This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures. I'm Dr. Norman Horn, and with me today is Mr. John Savage of The Savage Group. This is a leadership consulting firm, and they do a lot of great work with ministries and nonprofits all over the United States and and beyond. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about uh, what motivated him to jump into coaching, uh, how his business has evolved over time, and a lot of the ways in which he sees Christian leaders with limiting beliefs and what we can do as leaders to improve our, our ministries and our and our businesses. So, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me here. Oh, my pleasure. Really good to be with you today, Norman. John, it's been really interesting to read your website and kind of get your perspective on, on leadership and on what your vision is for improving ministries and nonprofits. Let's talk a little bit about your career journey and kind of how did you get to be the John Savage of today? Can you describe a little bit about your career journey? Sure. Well, I appreciate the, the focus of your podcast and the really encouraging and equipping Christians to, to jump into the marketplace, to lead more effectively, to make more of a contribution. And, you know, as a side note, before I get into that, I guess I've just observed so many, um, well, because I do a lot of work with ministries and churches, I've seen a lot of churches across many denominations in which there's a, a lot of parishioners sitting in the pews or seats, you know, admiring the platform ministers as the professional ministers. And it's my heart that the body of Christ would would find, you know, their place for contribution in our culture and step forward and 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 figure out, you know, with God what is their role and how can they lead, how can they contribute as well beyond just our quote unquote, you know, professional ministers. Because I do believe, particularly in the New Testament, you know, God has equipped us to lead and to contribute and to serve, uh, you know, in so many ways. And so if one of your listeners today is, is thinking they're just along for the ride, I want to encourage them to step forward and seek the Lord with others, find out wh- why God has made them and, and invited them, you know, into the world to, to make a contribution and to, you know, represent him. So for me, I had an early commitment to Christ at summer camp at age 12. And, you know, it was a noticeable conversion. God and the Holy Spirit came alive in me, and I was really a, a different person, even at the age of 12, really wanting to learn more about God and wanting to contribute. Jumped into leadership opportunities in my church, and that propelled me through high school and college. I led the Christian fellowship at my college in Ohio, and then really wanted to serve God for the rest of my life. So I, I almost went to seminary, but, but didn't do that. You know, and, and back then that was kind of your option, you're a pastor and or not. And so I started to explore marketplace ministry opportunities relative to my, my career, was involved different marketplace groups such as Christian Businessmen's Committee, CBMC, Full Gospel, these these different groups, some of them and others exist today to try to provide a place for people to kind of figure out their faith. But what I found kind of in my spare time is that the that there was a disconnect between the gospel and the reality, if you want it, like it's kind of the practical. Churches were kind of exploiting their employees. Christian-owned businesses weren't paying their vendors. There was just a lot of things that didn't make sense to me. So reaching out to 
to the Lord. I said, well, uh, I became a student of Christian leadership. So Lord, to help me understand why if we have access to your word, there's so many things breaking down in the world relative to you know, living out our testimony. And I personally was very interested in, in not, <laughs> not stumbling others in their walk because of my, my lacking, which is why I don't have a Christian fish bumper sticker on my car. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I just, I don't want to stumble other people in their walk in terms of their perceptions of Christians. And of course it's, it's not about Christians. It's about Christ. So that was the early thing in my career that woke me up. And I continue to be frankly, some 40 years later, a student of Christian leadership, continuing to learn, continuing to understand, you know, why are there breakdowns between our faith and our practical life in, in the workplace and the marketplace and the church, you know, et cetera. Interesting. And so you began observing all of these kind of breakdowns in leadership, the various ways in which people interact in congregations even, and that motivated you down the line to jumping into coaching. But you're, you now have an expansive business that surrounds this. Tell us a little bit about like the way that kind of developed. How did you kind of begin? Like, yeah. what was sort of the starting point of uh, like going from, I observed these things to I'm starting a business to bam, now you have, you know, a ton of people involved in your organization. Yeah. So as I had the awakening, if you will, and became this, the, the beginning of my season as a student in Christian leadership, I just kind of went back to the word and I said, well, what is it that God cares about? And then really reflected on my myself and my own desires. What, what are the desires of God has put in my heart that I care about? And I don't care about everything he cares about. I, I hate to <laughs> admit, but yeah. I don't. For example, I don't, I'm not passionate for evangelism like some others are. I feel like I should be. I kind of apologize for that, but I'm not. Fortunately, he's put others with those, those desires. So what does he care about? What did I care about? And then I did kind of an assessment with some help of others about my giftedness. You know, what, what are the gifts I have that I could apply to what I call the intersection of care? What he mm -hmm. cares about, what I care about, where does that intersection uh, come? And you know, over time, he, he revealed that I really care about the church being relevant to the culture, and I care about the poor. And those are the two areas that I, you know, I focus on. And so out of Ephesians 4 uh, is really the basis for our company in equipping the saints for works of service and identifying, uh, you know, the fivefold ministry and, and the different roles people can play, that not everybody has to be a CEO or not everybody has to be, you know, President of the United States or whatever, you know, you might consider as a faith venture, but what are those? And so for me, I found that really in my employment era, I was a, a really strong number two. I gained confidence of the CEO and I helped the CEO win over and over and over again. And so it became evident to me that this coaching role, if you will, to bring confidence and really organizational structure and strategies to helping a vision be fulfilled was kind of my best role. And so about 10 years after doing marketplace things in 1994, I was in Southern California at the time, moved to Seattle for personal reasons and launched the consulting practice there, the Savage Group, and uh, really sought to equip those in the nonprofit sector. We serve churches, we serve Christian ministries, we serve family foundations, and we serve Christian-led family businesses. Frankly, because in those four sectors, they all function and dysfunction in similar ways. <laughs> and the dysfunction comes out of this tension between, hey, is this a family decision or a business decision? Which direction yeah. should we go? And those four sectors operate culturally as family, church, nonprofit, 
family business, family foundation. And so they're always wrestling with that tension. So our coaching and then eventually, so individual coaching, organizational consulting, we do peer group cohorts, et cetera. Those all are really geared to help people based on their preferred learning style to move forward, equipping the saints for works of service so they can do more of whatever God, you know, called them to do. And just briefly, you know, a lot of these folks do have a calling they can't turn their back on. God's reached out to them and said, hey, I want you to do this. You know, none of them really, you know, were growing up in high school, middle school, whatever, as a kid said, hey, you know, when I grow up, I want to part the Red Sea. You know, God, <laughs> if you look through scripture, the leaders that God pulled mostly are reluctant. They weren't like, hey, I really want to do this. God said, you're going to do this. They chose to be obedient most of the time. And God gave them helpers. You know, God, you know, Moses was like, hey, I can't really talk, whatever. He said, I'll give you Aaron to help you. Oh. And for all of us who see us in our own faith venture as leaders within the culture, and frankly, whatever culture that may be, and American culture is just one of 167 cultures or countries, you know, whatever it is. And so learning how to be relevant in our culture and who God will put upon us, that when God calls us to do something, we may not know what we're doing. And so if a lot of our clients are founders, God calls them to do something incredible. They don't know anything about fundraising, board development, team leadership, self-leadership, board development, which are elements of a nonprofit, at least, and church to some degree, and, and so on and so forth. So we've got a team that understands those things and, and really helps people to move in the direction of the vision you know, God has given them. Wow. So th there's a couple of things that really stand out to me about, you know, what you've just been talking about here. Number one is just kind of the, the willingness to be self-aware about what you care about. Critical. I, critical. I mean, I think that's, there's this tendency we often have in Christendom at times that we kind of all, we all need to look the same, you know, but not right. all, but in fact, not, not only are not all of us the same, it's actually good that that's the case. And so yes. to even to have the self-awareness to say, you know what, I'm not the kind of guy that's the evangelist all the time is something that like that takes a bit of, of extra courage, I think, in, in, in many respects. So I think that's something to be encouraged by if you're listening today. And secondly, is recognizing that you did have a way in which you could serve the cause, if you will. And that's through this this building up of leaders uh, and then proceeding of that into here's how I can work with other churches in order to do, you know, this very calling thing is, I mean, that, that's really significant. And, and so I'm, I'm also kind of curious then, okay, so you, how have, has that sort of evolved over time? I mean, you started off doing this in Seattle or uh, it sounds like, yeah. and so, you know, did that, did it start off with just churches or sure? how did that kind of proceed? Well, on one hand, you could say how, <laughs> How did it evolve? And and I'm I'm grateful we did some market research a while back and, and we had a 95% you know satisfaction rating among our clients. We've served over 150 clients now and we tend to go deep and long with them. Usually three years is an average tenure. So we're pretty intense with them. But then so many of them say, John, you've really been helpful to us. Your team has been great. How how come you guys are so good? And and I'll say, well, <laughs> because we've made all the mistakes there are to make. So <laughs> that path of uh, of being useful, you know, they say wisdom comes from making mistakes and, and learning from them. And so that's unfortunately or fortunately been a path. There's been a lot of mistakes and learnings along the way. A lot of great people speaking truth to, into, you know, my life. And that's helped 
immensely. But I started uh, with a, a church in Seattle, a, a mega church, and, and running their stewardship program because uh, biblical stewardship and, and, and donor engagement was part of my history. One of my employment jobs was in Los Angeles as the VP of Public Affairs and Resource Development for Union Rescue Mission for the Homeless. We were doing about a million meals a year then, and uh, still, I think, the largest wow. in the country. So learned a lot about, really, as a broker between the rich and the poor, extreme wealth, extreme poverty, everything in between. And so taking a lot of those lessons, started with this church, and then there was a Christian school. And, you know, as often as the case, word of mouth, uh, people said you ought to consider working with John and the Savage Group. And so one thing led to another, and my kids were young, so I, I did not choose to travel uh, initially, but um, had some invitations for national conferences and speaking. And so later on, uh, after my kids were, were planted a bit and grown a bit, I did start to travel. And we've now served clients in uh, North America, Canadian and U.S. clients, recently Ukraine and the other direction, some client work in, in Maui and a co-founder of the Maui Rescue Mission. So I spent time over there as well. And they at the time of this recording, we just had some fires uh, a couple months ago that were devastating. And so then from that crisis to the Ukraine war crisis and geographically, you know, pretty, pretty broad. And I think, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit is a spirit of invitation. And so we try to use that DNA or methodology in our work with nonprofits and their donors to invite people into things, not to push them or ask them. Uh, frankly. And uh, and that's mm -hmm. the same thing for us. People invite us into the work to help them. And so we're privileged to, you know, to do that when we meet them at a conference where we're speaking or teaching or things like that. But we are trying to be more intentional in getting the word out there and, and, and setting some goals to help more people in the years ahead. Awesome. So now you've had all this experience working with uh, such a variety of Christian leaders, both in ministries and in nonprofits. You know, I'm sure you see a lot of common threads, if you will, of things in which Christian leaders can make wrong decisions or take the wrong path or have limiting beliefs. I'm wondering if you could kind of summarize for us, like, some, what are some of the most common things you see amongst Christian leaders yeah. where they're making critical leadership errors? And what, can, what do you do often to, to help rectify those or encourage them to make shifts in their, in their leadership style no. or other activities? Well, you made reference to this earlier a bit, and it's it can be a, a delicate topic based on people's history. So we have crossed a number of, well, let me say this, the way in which people think and work and believe varies geographically. So Christians in the Southeast, the Northeast, Midwest, the, the even North and, and Southwest think <laughs> differently about their faith, think differently about work, how to get things done. We had five clients in New York City prior to COVID and, you know, they don't mince words. They're, they want to get stuff done. They want to get it done quickly. In the South, they want to take their time. And, um, <laughs> don't I know it. <laughs> and, you know, so, so we have to respect that because yeah. when people hire us to help them grow their revenue, grow their leadership, grow their board, I have to say, I don't say it, but but I have to think, well, you didn't hire us to correct your theology. So, <laughs> yep. you know, the denominations, I don't even know how many there are. But we grew up with doctrine. I had one couple who was leading a dynamic ministry in the Seattle area. And 
He was the executive director. She was the development director. And they were, you know, a great partnership. But, but over time, the reality was that she was a better leader than he was and that mm. she should become the executive director. Well, that was a theological challenge because of the head of household needed to be the man yeah. in, their, in their denomination and whatnot. So it took us two years working through that until they agreed as a couple that it would be okay for her to be the leader in the business ministry while he would maintain being the leader in the home. And, huh. and once we made that shift, the ministry exploded and it's done amazing things throughout the Seattle area. But I don't know if I should even define that as a limiting belief. It was a doctrinal belief and I, I can't say it was right or wrong in some sense, but we worked through a process to give them permission for her to lead in the, in the marketplace while he would lead in the home. So that's just an example, and we don't <laughs> we don't generally tell people what to do, but we invite them to uh -huh. consider other options, to pray about it, and to see. I also I worked with an Indonesian American immigrant church in New York for a number of years, and you've got Indonesian thinking and culture that influences what they do and what they don't do, and that's true for every ethnicity. That's true for in many geographies. And mm -hmm. so we can't come in and, and, and change them, but it depends on their value system and what's important. Do you want to grow? Do you want to stay the same? You know, what, what is it you're trying to change? Our clients generally come to us doing great, want to go to the next level and have a, want a third party to help them do that, or they have a present day problem they need to solve right away and they need help with that. So we just, we just start wherever we are with them. But I think to your core question, I would just encourage people to, um, to work outside their circle, meet other people from other ethnicities, other denominations, go to conferences, just explore where God is active and what God is doing. And I, I guess I would just say I found God is more graceful than legalistic when it comes to empowering his people, equipping the saints for works of service, and having impact in the culture. So only your listeners can determine where grace and mercy can operate you know, for them, but it's my heart that the body of Christ would have more impact in the culture than we've been having historically. Okay. Yeah. I, I, that kind of resonates with me in that there are a variety of different factors that come into play. Having lived primarily in the Midwest and Southwest myself and being primarily in the churches of Christ, for instance, we think differently than, yeah. you know, some of than say the Presbyterian churches that I've interacted with. And that's relevant. I, I'm, I'm curious, like what other, kind of denominational differences that have you kind of, have you, what have you noticed or what surprised well, we you could, in that? We could respect? do a whole show on that. But, I bet we could. <laughs> but, but there's two elements I would coin. One is free market philanthropy in okay. terms of people are free to give and support whatever ministries or churches or nonprofits they want. And the other, you know, I suppose would be free market worship or something like that. And so I really encourage people to go to different houses of worship. And to experience them, not judge them, just take them in and understand why mm -hmm. does this appeal to people? It's a free market system, at least for now in the U.S. You can go to any church you want. While I was working in Los Angeles on Skid Row, uh, my wife and I and our newborn attended a church in Compton. That was uh, We were the only white family in that church. And um, it's great music, great people. They were very you know, loving and gripping. And it, just, it was really nice to have that different. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, which is a little more... Less intense. I don't know how to say it. But, <laughs> less um, intense. That's a good one. <laughs> you know, and we love good music and, you know, so on and yeah. so forth. Hispanic churches, you know, I've, I've been into the Indonesian churches. 
so on and so forth. So I really encourage you to take one Saturday a month or something and and go try something differently, even denominationally, in the spirit sort of operative gifts that show up in some churches. And and mm-hmm. so they're all out there. And uh, of course, you got to just check it with scripture and, and see, you know, you know, what's up and what's down. But as long as it's about Jesus and not about men, I think we're okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's something that it's it's definitely an eye-opening experience to go into other congregations and experience just the way in which they, you know, think and do worship. I find that to be very valuable. It was, it was always surprising to me as a young young person than visiting a different church, especially one in a different denomination. There's definitely something to be said that expanding those horizons can be really valuable. Yeah. So it's yeah. a good encouraging encouraging thought. Turning back to, you know, these elements of leadership again, though. You talk a lot in your work about, you, you even call them like five mindset shifts and you have the seven C's as well. Let's talk a little bit about that too. And because uh, I know that's really important to you. Why do you emphasize these particular things uh, kind of and put that front and center? Yeah. So the seven C's is simply the, the letter C. I'm a sailor. And so the whole <laughs> yeah, seven <true>. C's <laughs> analogy was just one playfully that we thought we'd pull in, but it does represent with the letter C, different different ways, different learning styles, basically. Technically, I think we have eight or nine Cs, but you know, we, we start with <laughs> the seven. It's, it's nice to have seven, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, nice yeah. Round number. <laughs> so, so quickly, it's just individual coaching, organizational consulting, peer group cohorts, content in terms of publishing, capital raising, uh, community building, and one other. But, but I think basically, it's conferences, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, national conferences. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So the just you know, different ways in which people learn. that It's all basically the same content, intellectual property, mm-hmm. if you will, in terms of leadership principles. And maybe you're somebody who just wants personal one-to-one coaching or you have a whole organization you need to bring along or you really, and I believe strong in community learning. So our peer group program, I'm very high on in terms of what produces the most results relative to change. So information is, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And so how do we change our behavior to become the person God would have us to become? Accountability to me is a big part of that, whether you're accountable to me in a one-on-one relationship or a peer group or whatever that is, or you come to a national conference and you get inspired, you know, and you meet some new people and grow your network. So I don't think everything's for everyone, but there may be two or three elements that are really useful to you. And so we just, we just offer, you know, different options for people to engage. People go to the website, you know, we'll talk about the five shifts. There's a video you can walk through that's educational, informational on that as well. And that really is about changing your mindset, which uh, among many principles, we'll, we'll slip one away here, is you need to move from doing all the work to building the team that does all the work. So most of us are sacrificial servants, and so we highly value a work ethic. We're working long hours doing things. We're sacrificing, sacrificing. And we, we think, okay, that's good. I'm a sacrificial servant. And, and there's certainly an element in which that is true. But if you're going to grow an organization, if you're going to have more impact beyond yourself at the corner handing out sandwiches to the homeless or something, then you're going to have to build a team. And so your job description shifts from being founder, CEO, you know, bottle washer, to team builder. So you wake up every morning thinking about who do I need to find on my team, volunteer, staff, board, whatever, to move my mission forward, my vision. So God's called me to do X. Of course, there's a whole process just to get clarity about what has God called me to do? And that's something we can, you know, help folks with too. 
But once you get that clarity and you're moving forward on that, the five shifts is just really about shifting your mindset to understanding that it's not all about you, as gifted as you might be, that if you're going to have impact for the kingdom, you need to involve other people, you need to build community, you need to have the opportunity to give others a chance to use their gifts as well. And so my definition of leadership, different than our Maxwellian and other people, is basically that the leader helps others find their way. And so everybody in the kingdom really, you know, maybe does have a calling. Maybe they have to work to find it, but they do have a calling. Once they get some clarity about it, then how do they find their way to fulfilling that calling? And that's what a pastor, I believe, should be doing. That's what a leader should be doing with their team is helping others figure out where do you fit in this team? How can I help you have a successful day? And so rather than doing all the work and, and boasting about how hard, I had one client, they, they said, the board's really upset with me and I don't get it because I'm working 80 hours a week and they just don't seem to value that. And I said, well, Jim, the board didn't hire you to work 80 hours a week. They hired you to get a job done. So if you only work eight hours a week and get the job done, that's all the board's asking. You're, you're, you don't need to be working 80 hours, but that's what most Christians value is this long hour sacrificial work ethic. Now, I'm not saying don't have a work ethic, but let's build yeah. a team. Let's see yourself, if you're the leader on that team, as, as the one who helps others find their way. Yeah, that, that actually, that is, that's kind of one of those limiting beliefs when you kind of get down to it. That yes. Sometimes it's like I, that core number of hours that you put in is what is the quote, quote, valuable thing. And I have tried to shift some of that in my own ways of thinking, and I, but I still find myself hitting that. It, it's kind of reminiscent of Max Weber's Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism sort of stuff that goes way, way back, right? Turn of the 19th century. Well, you know, slipping a little bit to the free market uh, paradigm, yeah. <laughs> in my market, the four sectors I talked about, there is a value system, can be a value system around sacrifice, mm -hmm. uh, poverty, work ethic. And so if, if you're really efficient with your time and you can get it all done in 10 hours a week and you're making a lot of money, that's not popular in Christendom. Yeah. You know, you're not sacrificing enough. You're, you need to be, you know, more poor. <laughs> and um, Poor in time, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, the stewardship, whole other discussion to do a program on that too. Uh, oh, sure. Big, big DNA for me. But stewardship really is, is what has God given us and what are we going to do with it? So that can be time, talent, treasure. That can be community culture. That can be maybe I inherited a business like Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby that I got to figure out what I do with. You know, <laughs> is, is it okay for those things to prosper? And there are many forces within Christendom that, that don't want that. And I think if I were pastoring, one of the things I would do is have a, have a ministry on, on stewardship of gifts because I think, I don't know a number, but maybe half of, of those in our church population are underemployed, under-earning mm -hmm. what their potential could be if they were helped along and equipped. And obviously their tithe rate would double if their income could double, you know, potentially. Yeah. And so I just think if your listeners are considering being on a faith venture, and they probably are if they're listening here, I just encourage them to quote unquote, be all they can be in terms of how God has shaped them. And that's, you know, relevant or relative to whoever we are. I love it. And that's definitely one of the big overarching themes of, of what we do here in Faith Ventures is to encourage people that our marketplace work is, is amazing and it is kingdom driven. 
yes. because of the way in which uh, that, you know, God's provision for his people is through voluntary interaction with each other through the marketplace to create value and make our lives better. So right. I, I definitely appreciate that. And, and I think that's, yeah, it's something we always want to be encouraging our people to do. Uh, so, you know, so as we, as we kind of drive to a close here, John, um, I always like to ask our, our guests here, you know, after we've talked about all these different things about our work, about our businesses, about our, the way in which we think about uh, being a leader or creating value for others, you know, you're more experienced than I am. I mean, <laughs> but I, I would imagine that you've accumulated a lot of wisdom over the years. And I like to ask our guests, imagine that you were trying to give your younger self some advice about business, about faith, and kind of in light of the career that you've had. What would be some of the most valuable things you'd want to transmit to your younger self? And, you know, for the benefit of our younger viewers and really for me, because I'm kind of a loser. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't, uh, I'll try to be brief with this. We didn't get to this earlier in my career journey, but my parents were divorced when I was young and I, I fundamentally grew up fatherless. So when I got kids, fathering was really, really important to me. And over time, uh, acquired the National Center for Fathering as a client. So I've learned a lot about fathering. And, and, and so the younger self, I think the role of the mother is really nurturing to make it safe to grow up and be in the world and be protected that way. The father really... It, primary role is to uh, affirm identity for, uh, for a boy or for a girl. Some may remember the old philosopher, Burt Reynolds, who when asked about, you know, when does a boy know he's the father? He said, when his daddy says he is. So there's this <laughs> element that I think is very real, God the father and our earthly father, that with 50%, 50% of children not growing up with fathers today, some of your listeners are in the same pool as, as myself. Yeah, You need to find father figures who can speak truth in your life and affirm all of the, all of who you are, overcome deficiencies that, that, and uncertainties we've probably had growing up. Middle school is a terrible time for many, it's a, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Public school can be really devastating for many. So seek out many father figures, not just one, but many father figures who speak truth into your life and affirm, you know, they can see inside what, what God has put in there and encourage you and actually give you a practical path on how to, you know, how to live that out. Internships, you know, uh, mm. for a, a vocation, you know, whatever that is. So I think it's the community. And as I look back on, you know, biblical, early, early biblical times, there was a sense of community, multiple father figures in the marketplace, free marketplace where you're taking your goat milk to market, whatever it is, <laughs> where, uh, where kids could learn, you know, something, uh, you know, from adults. So I think, I don't know if that's what you're looking for exactly, but we need those mentors. We need those father figures to help launch us into the marketplace and into the world, you know, later in life. Well, I, I think that's great, John, because, you know, our culture these days not only is derogatory toward men, but also toward fathers a lot of the time, too. And it's important to realize just how much value that they bring into, you know, into into their children's lives and into, you know, their, their surrogate children's lives, even as you've kind of noted. Absolutely. Uh, so that's that's so that's good to hear and, and a good reminder for all of us, I think. So thank you so much for for doing that. Are there any other kind of messages that you would want us to make sure that before we end that, you know, our listeners walk away with? Just encouraging them to what I term follow the call, figure out what God has, has put into you. And whether it's trial and tribulation and pain and loss and suffering, 
He's given you empathy to help others who are struggling with things or learning business or whatever it might be. And, and don't just be looking to others to uh, take the lead. God has given you something in which you can lead as well. Figure that out and find others to help you, you know, live out that call. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. How can folks find you online and learn more about the Savage Group and, and what you're doing or any other kinds of public things you'd like to promote here for a moment? Sure. Thanks. Well, great to connect with you and your audience. Our web is johnsavagegroup.com. Plenty of resources there. And then you can get our newsletter or reach out to me via email and otherwise. And um, I suppose there are other platform places where we show up, but that's a, a good start. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you, John, for your gracious time today. I really appreciate it. And I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. So thank you for joining me here. Great to be with you. This has been Faith Ventures, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.